0: Welcome to the Thriving
1: in Ministry podcast. This is the place to have authentic conversations with pastors and church leaders who want to create margin, avoid burnout, and lead effectively in ministry.
0: The Thriving in Ministry podcast is brought to you by DailyPastor.com and Talenton Church Services. So let's join the conversation with your co-hosts, Kyle Willis and
1: Dace Clifton. On today's episode of the Thriving in Ministry podcast, we interview Pastor Caleb Moore on how to create margin, avoid burnout, and lead effectively in ministry. Caleb Moore is the pastor of Katoosa First in Katoosa, Oklahoma, and Caleb is the author of The Disappearing Garden, How to Live in Babylon When You Were Made for Eden. Caleb and his wife, Adrienne, have three boys, and while not pastoring, Caleb uh, also hosts the Dog Backwards podcast, which focuses on Christian apologetics. I'm Kyle Willis uh, of Talenton Church Services and usually Dr. Dace Clifton from dailypastor.com and a pastor in Central Texas is with us. But today it is just Caleb Moore and I. Pastor Caleb Moore, welcome to the Thriving in Ministry podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Dace and I uh, usually do this uh, virtually and we get to interview great people. But today uh, it's just you and I here in the studio. In the studio. saint saint studio right. Hey, well, Caleb, uh, thanks again for joining us here on the Thriving in Ministry podcast as, as you and I are sitting here talking, uh, and I think the people listening are really going to enjoy uh, hearing parts of your story, um, but also the recovery message from it. And uh, I know one thing that you kind of like to do as a hobby or on the side is the Dog Backwards podcast, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it and, and how you got started doing it?
0: Well, when I started the podcast, I thought my mom might be the only listener. And so it's usually my goal to think of something stupid that'll make her laugh. (laughs) Um, But as it's grown, I get a lot of questions. Is it a yoga podcast? Um, Well, I just couldn't name it God, God's podcast or anything like that. So we just flipped it around. And kind of the goal is, is that we like to look at faith from a different angle. So that played into uh, the whole idea of the name.
1: Well, as Dace would say, that's awesome, man. Uh, filling in for both parts today uh, here as I'm talking with Caleb Moore. Um, hey, Caleb, uh, I know we're going to talk to pastors and church leaders and hear some of your story today. Uh, before we do that, do you have a particular scripture or a passage that has been speaking uh, to you recently?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, every pastor is supposed to have like his go-to life family verse, you know, that he shares. (laughs) Yeah. But I'll tell you, there's a couple of things that have been sticking with me here lately. And one's just kind of been wrecking me lately. Uh, It's Luke 22. And Peter just says, uh, after his denial of Christ, it just says, and he wept bitterly. Hmm. Um, And for whatever reason, I'm just, that's stuck in my head. I can't get it out. And I think of how many times that daily, you know, weekly, monthly that I deny Christ by something I say, something I do, sure. something I don't do. And how little uh, we weep over it. And um the other area where God has really been growing me in his word is man just the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah seems to be going through a lot of what culturally the evangelical church is migrating towards kind of the prosperity gospel. And there's that old expression, in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is mocked and made fun of because Jeremiah is the only one who sees things for what they are and about drives him insane. And so, as a pastor looking around at my flock and in the environment being here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, like, like the epicenter of prosperity gospel people look at me like I'm nuts for like, how could like how could you say this is wrong? This is, you know, so uh, particularly in Jeremiah, it has a couple of things that it, that it says that have stuck with me. One, he says towards the nation of Israel, you have the forehead of a whore, um, <laughs> which I just thought that was a weird burn. And then uh, through study, it meant that their disposition was one where they should have shame, but they don't. Like they keep their head up when it should be down. Yeah. And Jeremiah's solution to that is, if you would repent, I would give you shepherds that have wisdom and knowledge. And today we want shepherds that are big and flashy. Hmm. We don't care about wisdom and knowledge, but our heart should be for wisdom and knowledge.
1: So good. And I know that if Dace was here with us, he'd be um, amending some of that. And so uh, I do think that the church is Divided for lack of a better word, um, you know, it could be really difficult. And and I do think since you and I are both here in and around Tulsa, um, you know, we've had some some churches that have great influence and, and some of them are centered around uh, this prosperity gospel, right? Um, and then I think there's other churches that I won't say more serious, but but maybe divided or on the opposite spectrum where there's um, a heaviness or a seriousness to it. Um, and, and so I, I'm just thinking about that scripture right of, of the heaviness and, and the lam- lamentations um certainly in that that verse jeremiah goes nuts yeah
0: he says my tomb should have been my mother's womb hmm. i mean he wishes he was dead
1: instead of having to be the one guy like trying to tell people the truth right yeah. and so uh we may get a little bit off topic here um, but how do you stay focused in your ministry? Uh, is that something that you just don't pay attention to, or, or how does it work for you? How do you stay focused? You got to be selective in the battles that you fight. So there are
0: appropriate times to fight those battles and yeah. you fight them as hard as you can. Um, but then eventually you get to a point where you're not fighting for God. God can fight his own battles. Amen. So you do the extent where. This is fruitful. This is saying what needs to be said. Uh, if it falls on deaf ears, then you shake the dust off. And it's it's hard, it's hard because you feel like if I could just talk a little bit more, if I just said the right thing, if they would actually read their Bible, they would see this. Sure. And the truth is they don't. And very rarely do people change their minds. Like just people don't change their minds very often. If they are stuck in some kind of ideology, uh, it's really hard to break out of that, especially if they're indoctrinated in their whole their whole view of themselves and the prosperity gospel elevates themselves. So they, there's pride issue already, right? All cults do two things. They elevate man and they lower God. So um, they would call themselves little G gods. We're just like him. Sure. We should never be sick. We should have all the riches because my dad is rich, right? Yeah. And so unless there's a humbling moment where you can have that teachable time to enter in and be like, see, see, see how your kid is sick and not getting better which is hard because you don't wanna be the one that says, I told you so in those instances. But Bethel Church, their lead pastor, Bill Johnson, uh, he says, I refuse to believe in a theology that allows sickness. And he says, any theology that actually allows for the sickness of a Christian, um, he uses the verse from Galatians, let them be accursed. Basically like that is a false teaching. His wife has cancer for the second time Mm. and they have Mm. gone radio silent on what her prognosis is. And those are the moments where a good, faithful, biblical friend of his needs to step in and say, it's not
1: working, is it? Yeah. And I think that many pastors, um, certainly Christians, would struggle with some of this, right? Because we we know, we want to believe that that God can perform miracles and and heal the sick. But I also think that you try to balance it on the other side with, Realism and and trying to think of of the parents that are sitting there and and maybe what they're thinking through and and dealing with. And so, uh, you know, that could be really hard when, when you're probably doing that pastoral care, that shepherding and you're trying to balance between faith and healing and actual just comfort and and rest in the moment. So in a, a hypothetical situation, how do you approach that, Caleb? So I'm not, I'm not a cessationist and
0: I, I really believe that the charismatic church needs the more reformed side and the more reformed side needs the charismatic yeah. Yeah. because where they split and go too far off. So do we to where I had to stop praying when I'm asking for somebody to be healed just now. It's a good thing to pray, but Lord let your will be done, right? That, that's a good prayer, but I had to stop because for me, I was using it as an out because mm-hmm. I didn't think God would actually heal anybody. Yeah. So I was going to pray, God, would you heal this person? And I'm going to end the sentence, and I'm not going to give myself the emotional out to try to prepare myself for when it doesn't happen, because though the charismatics go way too far, we could use a little bit of higher expectations of
1: the miraculous in our church. Um, And Caleb, as we transition here, um, pastors and church leaders, each and every week we're talking to you, um, because we want you to thrive in ministry. We want you to create margin, avoid burnout, lead effectively in ministry. And uh, we'll get to some of those questions here today. But, um, Caleb, I, I'm curious if you'll just share your story. Sure. Um, I, I've heard it from you uh, in the past, and uh, I'm, I'm really just curious. I mean, uh, you kind of have a prodigal son type story. And, and so would you mind just taking a few moment, moments and uh sharing that with us today? Yeah,
0: so... I think everybody is a prodigal son. We tend to think the prodigal son is the one who went off and got drunk and spent all his money on hookers and yeah. came back brokenhearted. Yeah. But there's two prodigal sons in the story. And there's the one who's self-righteous and I've done everything right, so my dad should love me. So it's, it's merit-based love. And then there's the other one who didn't feel love, so he rejects his father. Both people reject their fathers. Hmm. And so, yeah, I, I did go the prodigal son route of the rebellious one. My dad was on staff at a large church in our area here. So I grew up, dinnertime discussions were often about deacon so-and-so said this, and it would be say something awful, you know? I'm like, oh, there's swearing going on at business meetings in church. <laughs> I got to a point where my parents allowed me to, I had to go to church, but I could choose to go to Sunday school. But all my friends were in Sunday school. We wanted to talk about the latest episode of Saturday Night Live that we had stayed up too late to watch the night before. This is when it was good. Um, <laughs> I would drive myself to Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher was a lawyer, very well known in the community, very well respected. And so he was put in this position, but he had no business being in there. He would spend 30 minutes talking with the other adults about NASCAR and how, how he liked the car always goes left. You know, it was like, <laughs> oh, look at that car go left. And I didn't care about NASCAR. And I'm like, why am I sitting here for 30 minutes, listening to an adult talk about his NASCAR fantasies? And so one day I raised my hand and I said, I don't thank God gives a bleep about your stupid NASCAR bold. And he's like, young man, you need to come sit by me. And I told him he was number one and walked out. He called my dad and my dad actually took my side. Um, And so he encouraged me to find a church that would help answer the questions because every question was answered with just have more faith. And I don't like, I don't know what that means. I don't, it's, it's not a tangible thing. I don't understand. So I found a church where the youth pastor started kind of answering some of my questions, at least being a little bit more helpful. I only knew him for a couple of months, and I went on a mission trip. And while I was on that mission trip, uh, he walked into his garage with a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other, and Mm. he didn't use the Bible. Mm. He had impregnated one of his students. Mm. And so I'd already been burned, essentially kicked out of Sunday school, Um, and now this. So all my experience with religious, especially men, were that they were two-faced and it was fake. So I left the faith completely. I, I wow. called myself an atheist for a while, though. When I look back on journals, talking an awful lot about God, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. it's an atheist or awfully mad at something. You know, I'm not mad at unicorns, right? If you really don't believe something exists, sure. you're indifferent to it. But atheists are usually really mad because they have dad issues. And, and I had that. So um, it took a long process of... um There's a saying, Dostoevsky said, without God, all things are permissible, which means there's no more morality. I tested that. I wanted to find that out. I sold drugs for a living. I was always a salesman, and that was an easy thing to sell. I got arrested a couple of times, uh, got locked up uh, once or twice for some short stints, and it was while waiting tables. Uh, I had to sell everything to pay lawyer fees, so I'm taking the city bus, and where we live, the people who take the city bus are not in good spots in life. It's yeah, not yeah. It's not a common thing. A lot of people on there are talking to themselves. Right. Um, whatever I made in the morning, waiting tables, I would take across the street to the pool hall, play pool, drink, go back, make some more tips, and then whatever I made, I'd go back and drink that night, and I was just going to do that till I died. And I had no plans of coming back to the faith. I wasn't on a spiritual journey. You weren't deconstructing, right? Uh, no, I had, I had deconstructed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and some guy just the boss told me to get this guy's drink order, and I was ready for a drink. I was I was uh, I had the shakes a little bit, and I just walked up and I was like, "Coke, Dr Pepper, Sprite, what do you want?" And he looked at me for an uncomfortable amount of time, and he says, "Look, I I don't I don't know what to say, but I feel like God is telling me to tell you something." Mm-hmm. I was like, "I'm about to make this grown man cry," um, as he leaves here, um, uh, doubt about his God that he believes in and he just said i've never said this to anyone before he says but god's not mad at you why are you mad at him Mm -hmm. you can build up all the walls you want but there's no wall for grace you don't know how to handle it and what we're looking for is love and when there's love presented you either harden your heart or soften it and for whatever reason god chosen to soften my heart called my mom Went home under my bot under my bed was all these bottles that I would drink to fall asleep and in the very back was a Bible. I pulled it out and I'm like, "Do whatever you want. I don't know who you are even yet, but I'll do whatever you want." And that began the journey of me coming back to the faith. A church took a chance on me to hire me part time as a youth pastor uh, when I had two years of
1: probation left. <laughs> right? Bold move. That's a bold move. <laughs> and I've been in ministry ever since. Well, I love that story, and in many ways it echoes. Um, a recent guest on, on the Thriving in Ministry podcast we had with Andrew Franklin. So if you haven't heard that, go, go back and check it out. But, um, the, the story of, of a life that was on the outside, um, and then, uh, had someone call them out, right? And then found a Bible underneath their bed, um, and, and now in full time ministry. And so, uh, Caleb, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, help bridge the gap for me here. I mean, you were, Now out and about, you had tattoos. You had been dealing drugs, arrested, and uh, you got into ministry. Someone took a chance on you. So, um, what did that look like when you were first starting out?
0: Man, I loved it. Uh, I would go back to youth ministry any moment. If you're in youth ministry and you have aspirations of becoming a pastor, slap yourself across the face. It's a terrible (laughs) idea. Youth are just hungry. They are. They're the best. Adults. Adults are big children who refuse to learn, um, but kids are the best. I apologize to the adults in my church. I love you yeah, very much. Of, of course. Um, but it was just a beautiful time. It was a perfect match. Um, the students that I had and the opportunity. They hired me. They said, "Hey, we'll pay you twelve thousand a year. Um, we only want you part time." And I was like, "I don't know how. To, I don't have nothing else to do. So can I just work full time?" Mm. And it went from like eight kids to almost three hundred um going to Falls creek we we ran it over like 120 on a Wednesday we had to move Whoa. to the sanctuary yeah and after that I was like can I get full-time pay now I have more students than you guys have adults on Sunday morning. (laughs) again. So
1: And so you went from youth pastor, but I believe you planted a church uh, before you are now the lead pastor. And so many of our our listeners may be following uh, some sort of career progression, similar to you from youth pastor to to lead pastor. Um, So I'm just kind of curious that journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about that before we get into our questions?
0: Sure. Yeah. So because a lot of my friends were still non-believers, um, There was a saying I heard from a pastor many years ago, if lost people excite you and Christians annoy you, you might be a church planner. That's good. I didn't know what a church planner was. I know there was a big movement later on in church planning, and everybody wanted to do that. It was the cool thing. I didn't know a church planner. My church didn't know any church planners. And I was just sitting in my office, and I heard that quote, and I raised my hand, and I told my wife, I was like, hey, look, my non-Christian friends won't drive out here to go to church. And when I talked to them, they're like, well, if you had a church here in Tulsa, we would come. And so I was like, let's call him on that bluff. Like, call let's, them out. let's see what happens. And we didn't have a sending team. Yeah. We didn't have a core group. And that was my wife. Yeah, we didn't have a network. We didn't have any social structure. We literally just like, okay, so uh, I quit my job and bought a house in the same week. Yeah, smart. <laughs> you, you have to buy the house before you quit your job, or they won't let you sign the papers. But we had had a couple people just randomly show up and say, hey, like, we feel like God wants us to give to your ministry. I'm like, I don't have a ministry. Like the church, they're like, but you're gonna do something. We wanna support that. And one of them was a doctor friend of ours who um, was our only and first giver. And we had, I mean, there was plenty of weeks where you don't know how you're going to pay the electric bill mm-hmm. and you're on your knees um, going, God, if you don't support this, it's done. And then there would be like some random person just say, Hey, I mean, cause we're talking about like having $12 in your bank right, account, right? right? Like where there's nothing, nothing. And that process of learning to live by faith. I think everybody who graduates seminary, I think their first job, they should have to raise funds for. Tell us more. Because it's real easy to, oh, I got the degree and here's a church who's going to pay me $65,000 right. a year. That's not a very good story, right. right? But the good story is, is I had nothing and we were going to lose our house and then somebody called and said, hey, we thought this oil well was empty. Mm-hmm. Turns out, like, it hasn't had oil in 20 years. We, we looked in there, and there's tons of oil, so we called it God's well, and he told us to give it to a, somebody doing your ministry, so it's yours. And that guy has been giving for like seven years now, right? And the, the well caught on fire, and it burned for days. And he called me, he says, hey, we won't be able to give, because I still raise part of my income. He's like, we won't be able to give that well's done. I said, man, thanks for all that you do. I appreciate it. The fire goes out, and he goes, it's
1: still pumping,
0: still got, still got oil coming. It's still yours. I'm like, Hallelujah. okay, so that's that's our Jesus well.
1: Well, and, and to kind of call back to what we were talking about a minute ago with the prosperity gospel, how do you live? Uh, with enough and not wear that as a burden or like a cloak of honor. And, and so I wonder how many times that, uh, maybe earlier in ministry or, or maybe even later in ministry that, that a pastor may find themselves being, um, underpaid. And that's a, a different topic for a different day. Um, uh, but I, I just wonder, you know, how to, how to balance that abundance versus, um, scarcity and, and frankly have the right attitude in it. And so, you know, I, I'm just kind of curious, like, I don't think the right answer is to to drive a Bentley, right? No. So at, for me, it's
0: not, it's not about like the material stuff. It's just, we use this word faith a lot in church, but it doesn't get exercised. Okay. And so we don't need much, right? Like we don't true, need much. True. Anything can be delivered to me tomorrow, Right. And I don't even have to have the money for it. I can put it on Amazon credit, right? Like I, I can have whatever I want. So there's so few opportunities anymore to live a life of dependent faith. Mm. Now we depend on relationships, or mom or dad is sick, and then we really lean on that faith aspect of us. But what does it look like to just like pay your bills on on faith? Now we had we had a small home. It was. Pre-kids, you know, when we started all this stuff. So you can do it much easier then. But it still gave me a stomach ulcer, right? right? right it wasn't right, like right. I'm walking on the water with Jesus. I'm crashing and burning every five minutes and I'm a panic mess. But it's that process of like, you say you trust, but you don't. Like mm. this your your level of trust is really, really small. You use big words, but man, you're a small man. So for me it was just learning like, yeah, if I fall back, he's got me. I'm okay.
1: And so as Caleb Moore and I are talking uh, to you listening to the Thriving in Ministry podcast, you know, I think we kind of got into the first question that we ask each and every week around margin. Uh, Caleb, and that, you know, sometimes is is time margin or, or spiritual margin. But I think uh, looking back for you, if we were to look back 10 or 15 years, it'd be, you know, financial margin was one of the ways that you uh, were able to thrive in ministry was by creating that uh, financial margin even thinking about my my own situation and, and coming from a, a job in the corporate world to getting to do what I get to do now through talent on church services, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, I struggle with this and, and I'd call it maybe faith margin. I don't know if that's the right word, but Uh, do things like rent a house instead of buy a house, because uh, I want to have enough faith that God is behind this, but uh, not so much faith that I I don't uh, make, you know, that I make a right choice. And and so, uh, you know, I'm curious your take on on margin or or balance, what that looks like for you and and your family and in ministry. Sure. Yeah. So
0: when it comes to, you know, people are always asking, like, how do you balance time and things like that? Yeah. For me, I, I take the responsibility of a pastor very seriously, but I don't take the title very seriously. I'm lucky right now yeah. Yeah. that my calling and my vocation go hand in hand, but if at any point I feel like my vocation is interfering with my calling, I'll, I could quit in a heartbeat and do something else, right? Mm-hmm. I could work for Pepsi and do my calling. It might be more fruitful. Mm-hmm. So that takes a lot of pressure off of... Um, the idea of I've got to accomplish all this stuff for the kingdom. I got to accomplish whatever God wants me to accomplish. Um, Now I say that like I'm calm, cool and collected. I'm still a strung out pastor like everybody else. Uh, But one of the best things I did is I'm always home for dinner every single week. Now, sometimes somebody might come home to dinner with us, but I'm home for dinner. And my, my church knows that I know the word no, and I don't have to be at everything. My church could probably be a lot bigger. If I put in the hours some of the other pastors do, but being the son of a pastor where I would have questions about God, but my dad didn't have time because he was at some somebody else's kid's house
1: he was traveling yeah
0: yeah or out of the country flying around the world, I was like, I'm not doing that, so part of it's reactionary um that keeps me that that good place you know, and my wife has full say when it comes to stop like You're done with that. You are not healthy. You don't look good and you don't like anybody. Um, My church just gave me a sabbatical. And one of the elders says, I knew it was time because it was the first time I ever heard you talk about somebody in a way that you didn't love them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And yeah, I just, I'd got to the point where I was so annoyed with this person's issues. I was like, well, I don't care what happens to him. with them, I'm done. And they were like, okay, that's when.
1: You need a break. Yeah. Right. Go, go take a nap. Lay down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I do think margin is really critical, uh, in order to thrive in ministry. And, and that may be different types of margins. It may be financial or, or relational margin or, um, decision making margin, right? With, with Caleb, you're telling other people, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be home by six. Um, and in fact, uh, even though you had those margins in place, uh, there was still a time where you got worn out. Um, as, as evidenced by your sabbatical. And, and so uh, Dace, if he was here, he'd be uh, all about your sabbatical and asking follow-up questions because uh, he got to do one. And, and he would say that is very impactful uh, for him and his ministry. Um, but I am kind of curious. Uh, as we move to kind of our second topic, each and every week is is around burnout. Uh, do you have a story uh, in your life and in your ministry where uh, you found yourself burned out?
0: Oh yeah. So I've I've hit burnout a couple of times. Um, one was where they gave me a sabbatical. I was I was there. Uh, I don't know if I was. All the way over but i was there and they were great i said okay i'll take a couple weeks off they said no take a month that's great uh but the first time so i think burnout comes from two different places it either comes from trying to do too much good or there's too much sin mm. right so my first burnout was from too much sin in my life which i i, I didn't know i thought i was a, a pretty decent guy i'd come a long way from where i was um, when I was doing church planning, we, we met on Thursday nights cause I'm cool and different. Right. Yeah. You know, so we're like, we're going to meet on Thursdays. Turned out we started like a college club and that's all it turned into. <laughs> so, uh, but it freed me up to kind of supplement my income by doing interim preaching. It, it would be like a church of like 10 that would have me come and do it. And then, the, then a church of 30 and then a church of 40, then a church of a hundred and the churches got bigger. And when you're interim preaching, there's this really cool thing that happens. Everybody loves you because you're like saving the day. They didn't have anybody. They're in between and they just are looking for somebody to show up and preach to them. So afterwards, everybody come up. Oh, brother Caleb, that was so good. We wish you were our pastor. You would love it here. And there was a part of me that go, yeah, I could see how you would want me as your pastor, but I've been called to this lower echelon of people, right? I'm wearing the tattoo shops, the motorcycle shops. That's that's where my people are, but I understand why you would want me. And, and as it goes on, like every compliment just made my head swell up a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger. And they were literally like, hey, would you submit your resume to be our pastor? I'm like, I've only preached here once. They're like, but that's the best sermon I've ever heard, brother. You're, and
1: you're hearing that every week, right? And I
0: believe it. Yeah. I, I forget people are nice and say things they don't really mean. Or their last pastor just sucked so bad that <laughs> somebody who tells a halfway decent story, they're like, "That's incredible! This is the best Sunday ever."
1: It's been it's yeah. like
0: I that. know. Yes, like Brother Jimmy stayed awake <laughs> this week. It's a miracle. So um, one Sunday, I'm about to go preach, and I started to get like sweaty and hot, and my tongue started to swell up, and now. The more people I preach in front of, the more comfortable I am. I had never had an issue being in front of a crowd. I'm a showboat as a child. I'd like, you could put me on national TV and I'll do a happy jig for you, right? Like okay. I loved the attention, but for all of a sudden, for some reason, I got really nervous.
1: And this is why you're at the church?
0: Yeah, while I'm at okay. the church. Yeah, like I'm I'm sweat, my hands are sweating, I'm getting dizzy and the fight or flight mechanism kicked in and I, I leaned over to the music minister I said, I don't know what's going on, but I have to leave right now. Hmm. Now, this was happening as one of the deacons was introduced to me. We got Caleb Moore back again today. I know how y'all loved him last week. Caleb, come on up. And I stand up and I basically run out the back of the church. And everyone's watching. They're like, oh, he's doing something neat this week. He's going <laughs> to
1: bring in a yeah, pony. He's going to come in
0: on a zip line, you know, like he's <laughs> doing something interesting. And I never came back yet. So they come and they find me in my car, bawling my eyes out. They're like, what's wrong? And I go, I think my blood sugar dropped. Hmm. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not diabetic. Um, it was just the only thing. So they bring me chocolate. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> chew this, see if this helps. And I called my mom. I couldn't even drive. I said, I need someone to come get me. And it comes time for me to teach at my church. And I'm fine. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. I get up there to preach. I couldn't preach. Hmm. Like I start getting dizzy. My tongue swelled up. My mouth goes dry. Something is wrong with me. And so I start going to doctors. I'm like, hey, something is really wrong with me. I don't know what is going on. And they couldn't find anything. They did blood test, all that stuff. There was a couple of godly men in my life that said, we've been praying for this moment. Hmm. So what do you mean? And he says, your ego is out of control. He said, there is no room for pride in the pulpit. And they showed me the verse that says that God does not share his glory with another. The pulpit is an easy place to be a glory thief where you can take the attention, you can take the compliments and go, well, I am well-read and well-spoken. Thank you very much. Yes, of course, of course you liked that sermon. It was good. You know, um, and as shallow as it sounds to say, looking back, I could go to a church and I go, they're going to cry when I preach this sermon, like like half the church. You know, if you know how to be a good storyteller and you know how to craft it, you know, when you say this joke, you know what face to make and they're just going to erupt. And you start doing that and you get in this mentality that I'm really good at this. That's, you're a glory thief. Mm. And I went six months where I couldn't preach. That's the only thing I know how to do, right? And I didn't go to college, uh, barely made it out of high school, no seminary. I don't know how to do anything else. And that was taken from me. And, but once I repented, I was able to preach again. It turned out I was having massive panic attacks, Like mass, and I had never had a panic attack in my life. I used to make fun of people with anxiety and all that stuff. I was like, well, they're just weak. Weak, Yeah. Turns out I'm weak. Turns out I'm weak. And there'll be times when I preach now where I start to get this thing rise up and I go, "Oh, God, don't let me be a glory thief. Like I still have that fear of God, which is the beginning of knowledge. It lingers over me today. I don't
1: have panic attacks, but we'll have some anxiety from time to time. And I've had some of those scary instances as well. So, Caleb, uh, how do you stay healthy and avoid burnout um, over the long term?
0: Yeah. So, my my mentor, uh, Dennis Queen, showed me a quote the other day, and it was, uh, my poetry would jam your fax machine. It was just some stupid little line that he had, but he was talking about, uh, people are built differently, you know? And I think you're fairly a, kind of an artistic person sure, as sometimes. well. and. I consider myself an artsy person, you know, poetry and music and painting. And my wife is so tired of me sharing my feelings. Like, um, And if you're designed that way, like what the church is tends to be designed today for pastors who have a CEO mentality, who are good at the machine, whether if they weren't a pastor, mm-hmm. they would be really good at running a bank or running some other company, right? And that's where we're getting these mega churches from is because you just have people who are wired that way. And that the church is... Designed for that kind of personality, but I think there's truth to where we need poets back in the pulpit some more. Um, we worship the God of all creativity, but most sermons and most churches are at least the least creative thing I've Watch seen. Out. Right, yeah. like we, whatever culture just did, like let's let's mock that. I remember Guitar Hero, the video game came out, and then there was like five years after it was popular, they're like, guitar praise, the Christian guitar hero thing was being sold at Mardell's. It only played three chords. Yes, yeah, yes, GCD. Please, yes, three yeah. chords. Um, and they were all heretical bands anyways. Um, but I was just like, gosh, we're the most boring, unimaginative people in the world. And if you know yourself and the type of person that you are, then you can create around you an environment that actually allows you to be you. So I'm thankful that I have a church where, like, um, I preach without my shoes on a lot. Not because I'm a, a hippie; it's just because shoes hurt my feet that are nice. Like, the nicer the shoe, the more painful they are, and that doesn't bother them. They don't. No one ever complains about tattoos or if I'm lost in my feelings for a little bit. Like, they just allow me to be me. And you operate in who God made you to be. Because, like, if there was. Um, a nail in the wall over here that I wanted to drive in and I used my cell phone, right? I could accomplish it, but I would break everything. Yeah. And when you try to pastor like other pastors do, because, oh, but look, they did this and they made this huge thing. Well, that's great. You know what they like doing? They like doing taxes. They, they like paperwork. They're insane people, right? And I don't necessarily want every church to look like that. I want a I place where the poet thrives too. And, um, now we're, we're just as structured and organized as as any other church, but somebody else does that, not me, because I know we're. I thrive, and it's not in that environment. Someone else wears. Somebody the shoes else so wears that you shoes yourself, and does right? paperwork. Yeah, right. I'm giving you a
1: hard time, Caleb. But uh, you know that that's some of the way that I get to support churches and pastors uh, through on Church Services. And so, uh, if you're one of those pastors and, and you don't like doing taxes, uh, if you want to move the accounting, the bookkeeping uh, out of your staff or off your hair, hey, give me a call. Um, but I do think that operating within our calling. Uh, really helps us to avoid burnout, right? And so, uh, when we are operating in that place that, that not, that God has gifted us for, that we see great returns from that. And for the church leaders listening, you know, you may not find yourself, uh, wanting to write a, a top 10 bestseller and live your best life. Um, but you probably do, uh, or are in that spot where, Uh, You want it to be better than it was. Um, And and Caleb, I don't know if this resonates with you, but In in my previous job, uh, you know, I was supposed to wear a shirt and tie and a a suit jacket every day. And maybe I had my flip flops on uh, underneath my desk. But, um, you know, I I think what I, one of my quotes is that the best I ever was was when I didn't care about getting fired. Yeah. Um, That I I frankly just was like, hey, this is me. And I'm bringing my full self to this and the full self into the work. And so I don't know. Does that resonate with you?
0: Yeah, man. It's, uh, you wonder why some, Sometimes so many pastors are such cowards and they don't, like, it's a biblical command to call out false teachings um, and false teachers. Like part of, you know, in 1 Timothy and Titus, it's said that that's a requirement of a pastor, but nobody does that because that can mess with your bank account. And you really find who somebody is when you start messing with their bank account. Um, My wife and I, we were just, like, we were serious. Um, Like we were going to buy some land and live in geocentric domes, right? Like, cause you can buy a thousand square foot dome for $10,000. I'm like, let's just live off the land, baby.
1: Shipping containers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: It turned out those, uh, domes, uh, don't do well in Oklahoma tornado Not season. So, so, um, we got to find out another idea, but yeah. So, um, I've been poor. Like I I make a decent living now and it's nice, but I've been poor. I just want to be happy. I don't care. I don't care if I'm rich or poor. Um, as long as I have a jet ski, well,
1: yeah. You, I mean, you got to have your toys, Caleb. But it's, it's almost that time <laughs> just, of year. Um, hey, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the prodigal son, and as you are um, talking to pastors and church leaders, they may find themselves in one of those two uh son roles. So one who uh had it all together, the straight A student seminary, never left the church. Um, or maybe their story is similar to yours where uh they left and, and came back and and while I think anxiety and panic attacks and, and burnout can happen with both of those sons, I do think that um the one who left and then came back plays a little looser. Um, you know, I would yeah. say like, hey, I'm playing with, with house money. I've got nothing to lose. And so I think one prodigal son has uh, some freedom that the other one may not necessarily have. Well, Jesus says, for freedom, I have set you free.
0: Like, I'm still searching for that Christian version of Zen. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give, and I don't give as the world gives. But I don't know very many people who are at peace, Hmm. right? Like, I, I don't. Most people are stressed out. Like anxiety is a virus. We just pass back and forth. And so I want to be like, my job is cool and all, but I'm kind of on my, the journey that my job allows me to be on. And I think I'd be on it anyways. I was like, I really want to know what that piece that surpasses all understanding looks like. Cause it's something he said and he promised us. I don't know very many people who have banked on that promise. Uh, You know, you know who I found, who has it. There's a group of people that I find, because I asked a lot of people, do you have this peace that surpasses all understanding? And almost all young people say no. People in their 40s say no. But if you talk to somebody in 70s and 80 years old, you know why they're so chill? No. Man, they've, had, they've, they've gained everything and lost everything in a generation, right? Like mm-hmm. they've been through it and they just go, yeah, none of that stuff matters. I'm still here. Yeah, none of that stuff matters. I'm still here. God's good. And I go, yeah, that's what I want. I want to smell like Moses when I'm older, right? Like just, you've been through it all. And uh, so I look forward. Our our culture frowns upon growing older, like it's a bad thing, when we should be enthusiastic about being the old man who doesn't care about much, because what he does care about is
1: stuff that you should actually care about. And I find that sometimes the Amish lifestyle... Of withdrawal, we've gone full hippie into this uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, we, this we, live in the land. This is what man. happens when we let Dave, uh, the polished, <laughs> established uh, church leader, off the podcast? You know, he he he's got it all together, but we let him off one episode, and now all of a sudden uh, we're, we're living on the the hippie commune. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, I think that lifestyle um, has some benefits to it, and, and some of those things that I would be seeking is just a, a different pace, a, a different set of expectations. And, uh, you know, I obviously it would be like the end of this podcast if I go live out with the Amish here for a little bit. But uh, no, I, I am kind of intrigued by that. And and so I do want to, uh, you know, kind of move us along as, as we wrap up here.
0: Can I add, before you go to this next sure, question, let me just add one thing. If you went to an Amish community, you'd be just as stressed out.
1: Hmm. Tell me why.
0: They were a. They work harder than us. True. And if I can't rest here, I can't rest anywhere. That's good. Like rest is not a positional thing. It's not an environmental thing. And that's what we always think. That's why we go to vacation in Hawaii because we think rest is an environmental thing, Uh, but rest is a command. If if I can't rest right where I am and figure out how to do that, then I'm not ever going to rest.
1: That is so critical. And if you miss that point, pastors and church leaders, if. If you can't rest or find rest, find peace where you're currently at, maybe it's going to elude you for a long time.
0: Yeah. That doesn't
1: mean that your current church or your current climate is perfect, but uh, you don't want to to chase this for the next 30 years just because you can't find it where you're at now.
0: Here's what happens is pastors stay at a church an average of four to five years. First year is a honeymoon year where you get everything you want and it's great and everybody likes you. Then you get some difficulty by year four or five. You're getting real pushback for what you're trying to do. And you start to get that burnout sensation. You're going to blame the people in your church and not say, maybe it's my leadership. Um, You're going to look at all your environmental things that are causing you stress, and you're going to say, it's their fault.
1: Sure. If I only had X, Y, and Z. Yeah, if
0: I only had, right? It's my fault. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to stay four years. I'm going to stay 14 years. I'm going to figure out how to do this well but I'll like how to do it in a way that doesn't destroy me. Like if you, if you've been pastoring for like five years and it feels like by the end of every year, you're about to burn out, you're doing it wrong. Come on. How are you going to role model? Cause like, well, I'm supposed to be a role model to everybody else. Well, rest is part of the role model. And if you don't rest, nobody in your church is going to rest and your volunteers aren't going to rest. We need volunteers, but we just tell volunteers to rest sometimes, even though we need them because it's not about producing anything. It's about just being faithful. I would rather be obedient and faithful than to produce anything. My church never gets above 30 people. That's fine as long as we're doing it well.
1: Mm. And uh, in a previous podcast that we released towards the beginning of the year with Dr. Matthew Sleeth in, in 24-6 Sabbath, you know, he called out churches and and in particular pastors and, and was challenging them to Sabbath properly. And he really uh, gave examples in his own life at, at how... Uh, they were able to see the fruit more when they were Sabbathing uh, than those who were around them that were not taking a proper Sabbath and resting. Caleb, I know for uh, you and your church, I'm I'm curious how you're leading them more effectively. You have a a younger church, and I'm sure that um, you've got stuff that you need to change or fix or or lead them properly. So how are you uh, leading your staff, your church, your your people more effectively?
0: Well, I kind of wish we had a little bit of a younger church. Uh, our church has got the, the full spectrum. Now, we are young in how old it is, but our church is 142 years old. There were six people left when we came in to do a revitalization, and it's grown quite a bit since then. And it's doing well. And I promise, I'm not as hippie as I sound, but church is a garden, not a machine. And if I treat it like a garden, especially in leadership, where I'm investing, I'm planting, I'm watering, there's seasons where it looks like everything is dead, but that's actually just preparing for the growth that's about to come. That seems to work much better than trying to create it like, I got this program and this program and this machine, right? Like I just don't think this ambiguous thing that is the gospel, that is the spirit, you know, uh, the Bible is an Eastern book that we try to make Western because it has these weird things like in him, we live and move and have our being. That's like, that sounds like Eastern Buddhism stuff. You know, that sounds, it sounds weird to us, but if I can learn, you know, the spirit it blows to and fro and nobody knows where it goes, but yeah, like, nope, it goes right here because we programmed, we have these four steps to how to become a faithful follower of Jesus. Um, maybe not, maybe it's a garden. Hmm. We started in a garden. We end in a garden. Uh, when Jesus is resurrected from the tomb, what do they mistake him for? A gardener. A gardener. Why? Because
1: he's gardening. Maybe we could take something from that. So I want to begin to, to wrap us up here. Um, and the last question that we typically ask is, is, what do you wish you would have known earlier in ministry? And so when you look back, uh, church planting, youth pastor, uh, what would you have told yourself? Oh man, I tell him he's an idiot, um,
0: stupid. Um, he's not very cool. Um, <laughs> now, constructive criticism, I would say stop worrying so much about how to produce results. Focus a lot more on being able to rightly divide the word of truth. That it's in that study of you falling in love with this book that God is giving us and the God of that book. As you get to know him, ministry will naturally
1: come from that. Well, Pastor Caleb Ward, thanks again for joining us on the Thriving in Ministry podcast. Before we let you go, um, we mentioned briefly your book, uh, The Disappearing Garden. Uh, Where can people find that? What's it about?
0: Yeah, so I wrote this book. It was just a result of studying Genesis, like the first six chapter for a year. And I had the realization that I shouldn't be comfortable in this world. And everybody's trying to get you to be comfortable here, but I'm not made for this world. If the universe is fine tuned and history is fine tuned, then guess what? I'm fine tuned. And I wasn't fine tuned for this environment. That's why things like stress, anxiety feel so awkward on us because we weren't designed for it. We were designed for the garden. And I wanted to figure out, I kind of went on this journey of how can I live more like I would if I was in the garden? Now, I can't, I, obviously, I can't live as though I was in the garden, but I just kind of wanted to figure it out. And I came to the conclusion that a lot of it has to do with the labels that we place on ourselves. The labels that we have are, tend to be biological and are really all that we need. And then we add all these extra ones on. And if we can begin to let go of those and start to find our way back to the garden a little bit, um, it, it helped with my anxiety. It helped with depression. It helped me go, okay, I can relax. It's okay if I feel stressed out. I'm not supposed to be here. This isn't my home. And so I wanted to talk about how do we manage being misplaced in exile? How do we, how do we handle that? Um, so yeah, that's what the book's about. Yeah, you can find it at calebmoore.tv and there you can find links to the podcast, which is on iTunes and all this stuff. It's on YouTube as well. Dog
1: Backwards podcast,
0: yeah. Yeah, Dog Backwards is the YouTube uh, channel and the name of the podcast. Um, I only put out on, like once a month because I do it when I want to. Right. And this is how we create margin. If I don't have anything to say, I'm not going to say anything. I don't need to fill space. Like you don't need to. Other people will put other stuff out. Nobody cares, right? It frees you up to go. Nobody cares about your podcast. Um, and then Amen. just do it. You have fun doing.
1: And you can find a link to uh, the disappearing garden and uh, the dog backwards podcast, all that stuff uh, in the link below in the show notes. You know, Caleb shared uh, a lot of different things, uh, in particular he, his story, um, but I want to draw you to uh, the, the burnout part where he said there's there's two different types of burnout for pastors in particular, and one is the one that we typically touch on here, which is rest and, and proper rhythms of rest and, and staying healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, all those sorts of things, but he also talked about uh, burnout from hidden sin. And so pastors, you may be experienced that um, arrogance, that pride, um, and maybe that's why you are feeling uh, burnout if, if you're there. And so each and every week, as we were talking to pastors and church leaders here on the Thriving in Ministry podcast, uh, man, I, I just hope that you'll continue to listen, subscribe, do all those sorts of things that we ask you to do. Uh, and if you've got a, a question, you can email me, uh, kyle at talentonservices.com. Uh, You can email thedailypastor at gmail.com. Do all those sorts of things. Uh, But we really appreciate Pastor Caleb Moore joining us here on the Thriving in Ministry podcast. Hey, have a great week and stay in the fight. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Thriving
0: in Ministry podcast. We want you to stay in the fight and thrive in
1: ministry.